How many are glad they're in church this morning? Doesn't matter. We locked the door. You're in. <laughs> and if you haven't heard, it's cold in Key West. Now, if you're, if you're watching us from Michigan, <laughs> nope, you're still colder. <laughs> Praise the Lord. It's, it's amazing how wimpy we get in Key West when uh, the weather gets um, around 50. 50? I didn't know my thermometer went down that low. <laughs> but it did, so we are. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. But um, <clears throat> I, um, my wife, for whatever reason, does not like to use the heater. We have heat in our house. We have a modern house. We have central air conditioners. Got the heaters. You set the thermostat, whatever temperature you want. It makes it toasty, whatever it is. We wake up this morning, like 50 degrees, and we're trying to you know, get acclimated to this thing. I reach over. I flip the switch on it, and the heat comes on. And, um, and uh, no problem. Well, I did that yesterday, and, and I'm in my study, and I'm studying it. All of a sudden, the, 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 it's getting colder in the house, and the fire alarm went off. And I'm walking out, and I have one of those fire alarms that talks to you, you know, tells you what's, what it is, and it's going, fire, fire, fire. I look out, I thought, well, for sure the living room's got to be on fire. I go outside, and my wife has got all these candles lit. She turned the heat off and turned, lit all the candles, because that's, I guess, safer. <laughs> <laughs> and she has so many candles lit to try to keep warm. That she, it's not going to give you no heat. Not, I, anyway, praise the Lord, but uh, uh, we got the fire alarm situation stretched out this morning. Praise the Lord. But um, Amen. So, hallelujah. All right. Um, I, this, this message comes right from the heart this morning. Now, I'm going to say this message comes right from my experience this week. <laughs> How many know, I got, God gave me a title for the message during the week, and I had a chance to prove it in my own life on Friday morning. Uh, uh, the title of my message this morning is going to be Refining Focus in Times of Trial. How many think that's a good title? Huh? How many want to hear the message that goes behind that title? Praise the Lord. Well, I had the title and in, in sometime in the midweek, and then by Friday morning, it's like I felt like old Job listening to all the bad news coming across. We had this problem, this problem, this problem. What my wife and I have done recently, and we've done it in the past, but we've done it more recently, is it, we had one thing going wrong over here, part of the problem going over there, and just, you know, of course, I'm the pastor, they, you know, I'm the one that makes all the decisions, so praise the Lord. Uh, but what happened was Diane and I got together, my wife and I got together, we sat down in our living room, and we took communion. And lo and behold, I stand here right now and tell you, everything is fine. <laughs> it was, so, the problems that we had that hit us Friday morning were solved by Friday late afternoon. Amen. So praise the Lord. I don't want to take the time here to list all the things that we had, but just trust me. I mean, it was it was like, no, nah, this no, nah, this can't, all at the same time. No, nah. how many of you ever have one of those days? Praise the Lord. As long as you don't have one of those months, you're okay or years. <laughs> praise the Lord. Refining refining focus in times of tr trouble. Uh, uh, Psalms thirty four eight. I, I like this because here's what I've been been on this bent for quite a while about being aware of the presence of God. It's more than just going to church. It's more than just listening to sermons. It's more than just preaching to sermons. But Jesus is alive and with us. He's here. It doesn't matter what we recognize or don't recognize. It doesn't affect his presence only for us. But what I've been talking about is having an awareness of God being in the room. The Bible clearly says that where two or three are gathered, his name, his spirit is in the midst of the, of the gather. But do we believe that or we have heard the scripture so much that we become numb to it and really don't listen to what it really says? He means what he says, and he's been doing it for 2,000 years. Amen. We have the spirit of the Lord. So we've been doing this. And, and, and I like what it says in Psalms 34, 8. It says, oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who trusts in him. Oh, taste and see. Two things there that, that stand out. Taste is to experience and to see is a perspective. Are you here? So we the taste he's talking about, in other words, we experience the Lord, but then we have but then we see, and that is perspective. Our perspective comes by what we see. Praise the Lord. So anyway, I want to uh, that's not my whole message this morning, but I just want to get into things. I've thought about this refining focus. I've taught on other messages about focus before. And basically what I see about focus is is, is we need to be how many ever been focused on something? Um, I was focused on my message until the fire alarm went off. 
and it, it interrupted my focus <laughs> in my house. You know I mean? so, but come to find out, it was nothing. Uh, I, I like what um, one pr- a preacher said one time. He says, he says uh, how would you treat a friend that has lied to you as much as your fear has? I still like that. Doesn't get much of a reaction here, but I still like it. <laughs> Praise the Lord. All right, but I still like that. How would you treat a... How many know fear has lied to us more times? That's not my message this morning, but I, I, I like that saying. When I think about what distracts us from a focus, any given focus, doesn't matter what it is. Uh, mine, I'm always interested in the ministry, what God has called us to do. Uh, for the last 37 years, I've been doing what I'm doing. And I, I, I like to keep my focus and, again, the awareness of Christ, keeping my focus not on necessarily duties or assignments uh, that I have to do, but the fact is, or things I have to cover, but keeping my focus on Jesus himself. Because it doesn't matter what you do. If God is not the focus, it's all a tingling brass and a sounding cymbal. It doesn't mean anything. Amen? Uh, I don't care what great things you have accomplished. What it boils down to, the main important thing, is what does God call us? When he calls us sons and daughters, it's the highest degree of anything we could possibly ever receive or accomplish. We certainly couldn't accomplish it on our own, but it's the highest, highest degree that we could ever receive in life and beyond. Praise the Lord, because it's eternal. Matthew chapter 14, where I want to start this morning, if you get your Bible, uh, um, it says, it, it talks about, the whole chapter, uh, uh, Matthew 14 talks about, how many remember uh, when uh, Jesus went to a place, remember he first got the news uh, about John the Baptist being beheaded, that was his cousin, and, and basically he tried to get alone, he wanted to get by himself, he said, so he went up to a mountain place, he said, I just want to get by myself, and, and he left his disciples, he turned around, and all, all this throng of people followed him. Uh, that led to Jesus having compassion and healing the ones in the crowd, but then he's, they, they, it ran late, they ran out of food, you know the story, and basically what it came to about, it came to about feeding the 5,000. Well, Jesus never did get the alone time that he wanted with his father because he was too busy in the ministry, and that, so what happened when he sat down, now, it, it, the Bible, you go back and read that, it says 5,000 men. They only counted the men back then. Isn't it amazing? And, and, and before, the new, before the outpouring of spirit, they only counted the men. After the day of Pentecost, they counted men and women. But before that, they only counted the men. So if we only have 5,000 men, how many women and children are, are in that? We could talk about 10,000, maybe 15,000 people gathered at one place that Jesus fed on, on loaves and fishes. You know, When they were done, the Bible says this in Matthew chapter 14 and verse 22. He says, immediately Jesus made, the word made means to be compelled, uh, necessitated or almost forced his disciples to get into a boat be, uh, before him uh, to go to the other side and he sent the multitude away. Finally, he's looking for the alone time. Now, this is God sending them. So you could say that when he compelled them, why he had to compel them, we don't know. Why did he have to almost push him or, 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 or prod him into that boat? We do not know. But the fact is that he did determine, gives an indication that the disciples did not want to do it. In other words, God wanted them to go, but they did not want to go. Isn't it amazing that that was the time when they didn't want to go, they got across, halfway across the Sea of Galilee and they run into a storm. I'm going to say, well, I knew I was right. Jesus sent us out into this storm. Can I suggest to you this morning that God doesn't avoid trials for you? But he does get you through them. Why is that? Why doesn't God just take the trial? I mean, hey, the devil's a problem. Nuke the guy. Get him out of the way, and we go on to paradise. Well, the fact is that it, that's, that's a whole other uh, uh, form of theology. But the fact is, God isn't afraid of tragedy when it comes against us. We are afraid of it, but he is not. He knows the end from the beginning. He knows the answer before anything, before, before anything else. And he has the power to bring us through this thing. So here the disciples are out in this boat. By the way, if you've if you got some time, you can Google this on, on, online or search online. Uh, Jesus' boat in Israel. I visited this thing. They actually found one of these boats that the disciples use. Uh, not the boat, but it was a boat of that era. They're about 27 foot long and about seven, foot, uh, seven, seven and a half foot wide. And this is the type of boat. And the Sea of Galilee can get 
really determine. So we're looking at a boat that is put together with pieces and scraps of wood. Okay, mostly cedars, what they built them out of. But it wasn't so much the danger of the boat sinking as much as the boat falling apart. <laughs> coming, actually coming apart because of the storm. So, they, you know, you can deal with a sinking boat because there's wood that somewhat's going to float, you know, even if it's full of water. But the fact is, when it falls apart, uh-uh, it's all going to be pieces all over, scattered all over the Sea of Galilee. I imagine this might have been one of the fears. I can only imagine where it is. But Jesus was praying, and when he looked up, he saw them in that turmoil. How many know they were doing exactly what the Lord told them to do? They were, they were on that mission that God had put on the mission. They, exactly what he told him to do is what they were doing. Here we are in the middle. He sees now those particular boats had four oarsmen. So basically there would be four oars in the water and four men on each, uh, one on each oar. It just is, so there's four men trying to move this wooden 27-foot-long boat across the Sea of Galilee and winds pushing against it. Of course, they had a sail on it. They could pull the sails down and just row, probably what they were doing, and then trying to keep it into the storm. Everybody who's ever run a boat knows you need to keep it into the waves, not get it broadside, it'll roll you over. But the fact is, so they're, they're out there, they're afraid. And, and all of a sudden, God has a cure for their fear. So Jesus decides to cure their fear, to go out and comfort them in this storm by walking across the water in the dark. That should cure your fear. So basically, you're, you're, you're fighting for your life, rowing this boat, and all of a sudden you see this image come walking across the water. That should, do the, that should take the fear right away, right? <laughs> and in verse 27 it says immediately Jesus spoke on them and he said be a good cheer do not be afraid whenever God tells you not to be afraid there's a good chance that you have every opportunity to be afraid remember he told Joshua be of good courage be of good courage why did he tell Joshua so many times to be, be afraid be of good courage because he was going to need courage there's a, there's a right there because you're going to need it so whenever God says I looked this in the Bible says, fear not, have courage, guarantee the next thing going to happen, you're going to need to have courage, and you're going to need not to fear. It's going to be part of it. That's it. So anyway, Jesus said, be, not, be of good cheer. He said, do not be afraid. And Peter answered and said unto him, Lord, now where did he come up with this? I don't know. This isn't in any kind of books or scriptures, but Peter, being who Peter is, he comes up with this and answers, the Lord, if it be you, command me to come and you, uh, come to you on the water. You know the story. And so Jesus says, come. Anybody could have said, come. Any spirit could have said, the devil could have said, come. You would think. Can I suggest this morning that Peter didn't get out on the boat on anybody, just any old person saying, come. Just any old demon saying, come. But the word itself had enough life into it that Peter recognized that word because it wasn't just a word. I'm going to repeat this a couple of times, but in John chapter 6, verse 63, Jesus said, It's the spirit that gives life, and the flesh profit nothing, but the words I speak to you, they're spirit and they're life. Jesus said, Every word that proceeds out of my mouth is life. Is it possible that Peter, not just being stupid and stepping out, okay, somebody said, come, I'm just going to give it a try. No, I don't think it is at all. I think the word, when it came, come, it hit him right where he lives, and it bore life. For a while, he walked upon that word. There was no reason for it. It defied physics. It defied everything. But he walked for a moment on that word. What was the moment that caused him to stop walking on that word is when he got distracted and his focus was off the word that was sustaining him. And he looked at the storm and all of a sudden he went back into fear. Well, he's already in the fear. If somehow the word can't come, brought him out of a sense of fear enough to step outside the boat and walk. I was a well, yeah, he took three steps. We don't know how many steps he took, but I knew this. Jesus was far enough away they could see the image but didn't know who it was. And I know this much, when he sunk, Jesus just reached down and picked him up. He was almost there. He was almost there. How many, how many times we have been so close, so close, but then something comes in, cuts in on us, something comes in, distracts us, removes our focus, and we end up sinking. See what happens. We try to serve God. Try all I'm trying to do, Lord, just serve you. And then we want his sympathy. 
God's not going to give you any sympathy. God's not in the sympathy business. Why? Because sympathy agrees with the problem. He's not going to agree with your problem. You'd have it forever if he did. But God agrees with compassion. Jesus never sympathized with people. He had compassion to move to change their circumstances. So you see, if a Christian wants God to move in their life, they have to accept change. Otherwise, if a Christian does not want change in their life, the Bible or Jesus or anybody has very little to say to you. Because all our Christian life is about change. Are you here? Religion has put the damper on change, but not God. Amen? Why? Well, just the fact that we're born again. We're new creations, never before existed. That's about as changed as you get. I mean, you can't get any more changed than that. And what happens, we know that we grow and mature. I'm going to get into this in a minute, what James said. But we grow and mature. And in that growing and maturing... How do you grow and mature? All of a sudden, you get to know something? No, that's the tree of knowledge. God's going to grow you not by the tree of knowledge, but by the tree of life. Remember, there's two trees of the garden. Not the knowledge of good and evil. That's not going to grow you. What's going to grow you is life. Jesus said, my words are spirit, and they are life. That one word had enough life to suspend a man walking across. Well, actually, two men, because Jesus was out there, too. Two bodies crossed a body of water. My wife and I, we scuba dive on a weekly basis. We love scuba. That's one of our, one of our recreations and one of the things we love. And I like deep diving. I love wreck diving. That's what I do. I, I have been on, I have over 1,000, 80, 90 some dives uh, that I have logged. I log every one of them in record. And not once in the 30 years that I've been diving, not once have I ever stepped out of that boat and I didn't sink. <laughs> Of course, sinking is what you want to do when you're scuba diving. Fishing, you don't want to sink. So that's not, that's, not the, that's, not the, that's not the good day when you're fishing and you've got to sink or if you're trying to get one place to another. Sinking is not good. Just ask anybody on the Titanic. Praise the Lord. Not good. But Jesus said, come. Can I suggest to you this morning that that one word had enough life in that word and had enough spirit to raise Peter up? Until Peter, listen to me, church, until Peter made a decision to get distracted. Amen? God brings us into trials, not to wipe out the trials, but to bring us through us. Why? Because in the garden, he gave us a choice. Mankind has been developed with a choice. If I put you in a room that has two, only one door, you have no choice. You've got to go out that one door. If I put you in a room with two doors, guess what? You've got a choice. Pick which one. So what God does every time we come through a trial, he says, okay, what are you going to do here? <clears throat> this is your choice. What are you going to do? Are you going to trust me through this thing, or are you going to get distracted? Your focus is going to be off onto the problem, and then guess what? Can I say one thing this morning? I want to get this across our church here too, but the fact is, is, the fact is Jesus said, the words I speak to you are spirit and life. Do you know since the day of Pentecost, we've had the same thing? The same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead dwells in us. The same life that Jesus presented to us, we possess in faith through Christ. Is it possible, is it possible that we, that we are confessing the things or saying the things that we don't want to happen more than we're saying the things we do want to happen? I mean, if I went around this room and asked you, have you ever heard of corona, uh, you know, uh, coronavirus? Have you ever heard of it? Everybody in this room has heard of it. Uh, have you ever spoke about it? Have you ever taught on it? Have you ever uh, conversed with people on it? But we don't want it. It's something we don't want, but we talk about it. Hmm. Now, maybe I can't speak it out of the world, but I can keep it from my house. I can concern about myself. Amen? I can, I can speak it over myself. That's just one incidence. What about all other sickness and disease? I had to do sit down one time and read Deuteronomy 28. Chapter 28, from one end to the other. First 14 verses start out cool. I like this first 14. After that, it just kind of goes downhill. 
But then I flip over to Galatians 3, 13, 14, where it says Jesus has redeemed us from the curse of the law. See, Deuteronomy chapter 28 explains the blessings and the cursings of the law that were on the first original covenant with, with Abraham. But it says Jesus has redeemed us from every curse. He doesn't say he redeemed us from the blessing. So guess what? The blessings I still want to read in Deuteronomy 28, verse 14. At the last, towards the end of the chapter, Deuteronomy chapter 28, it says, even the sicknesses and diseases that aren't recorded in this book. That covers everyone they don't have a name for will come as a curse upon you. And basically what Jesus says, nope, I redeemed you from that. So how do we get the redemption of Christ from that? The same way Jesus walked on the water, we believe his word and allow that word come. And we focus on that word. Even though the storm is raging around us, we see the storm in our peripheral vision, but it doesn't become our focus. It isn't denying things. It's not denying coronavirus is going to make it go away. Okay? But the fear of that coronavirus needs to be, go away in our life. Because it's the fear of that virus, whether you've even contracted it or not, it's the fear of that thing that is paralyzing our society today. Not even the virus itself, just the fear of it. It's affected our economy. It's affected everything. Amen? Hmm. Praise the Lord. How are we doing so far? Can I say this? I, wanted, I wrote this statement down because I didn't want to forget it. We are alive inside because he speaks. We are alive inside because he speaks. His words, Jesus' words that he speaks to us, whether we read them or hear somebody preach them or, or we confess them. The words that we speak becomes his presence. Remember I said about being aware of his presence. To be aware of his presence is being aware of his word and to be aware of his word becoming very personal to us. Okay, can I, can I share? Oh, I, had to, I had to get there to bring it to the next thing I wanted to share with you this morning. Amen. Peter was the best example I can, I can come up with at the time on what it talked about losing focus because we're, we're a walking miracle. We are, we are above all circumstances, <laughs> which was the Sea of Galilee at that time. We're above and not beneath. We're, we're, we're at, we are conquering. We are conquering the problem. We're above the storm. And then all of a sudden, we're not. We're in the storm. Amen? So that because of that focus. James chapter 1, verse 21 is what I was... This, I read this word over several times, and I asked God for the, for the meaning of it, or for the, for the meaning behind it. Amen. But James says this. He says, therefore, lay aside all filthiness, overflow of wickedness. I'm reading out of New King James Version. And receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. There's a couple of things that challenge me with this verse. Number one, if you go back to James chapter one, verse one, he says, I am a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. Of course, he's also the brother, but he, I'm the servant of the Lord Jesus Christ who is sent to the 12 tribes of Israel scattered abroad. He wrote this letter to the churches, or to the, to, to the believers. This was not written to unbelievers. But yet he said, he said that this implanted word is able to save your soul. We would immediately uh, uh, say, well, I, I guess they're unsaved. They need salvation. They need the salvation. Well, one thing, you've got to understand the word salvation in the Greek is sozo. And it doesn't just mean I'm going to go to heaven when I die. It also means I'm going to be healed in the process of being saved. So salvation also means healing. Amen? Amen. So he goes on. So, but, but Paul, he uses this word implanted. The word implanted means grafted in. Okay? If you took a tree and you want to take a branch from the same kind of tree and put it grafted in, you would cut a notch in the trunk of that tree, you would stick that branch in there, and you would wrap it or tape it or whatever. And eventually what will happen, both living branches would grow, and the one would become, they would become one tree. So this now this branch would become part of that tree. The thing is, when Jesus talked, and I'm going to share on this, um, he, he talks about this, about, uh, if you go to Luke chapter 8 and Mark chapter 4, he talks about the four fo soil conditions, the way I put it, or four heart conditions, but he talks about the sower and the seed. How many know? So we're talking about, and Jesus said this, he said the word going forth are seeds. 
Those are the seeds are words going forth and they're scattered abroad. Some seed fell on this ground, some seed fell on this kind of ground, but then some seed fell on good ground and produced a good harvest. But here James isn't saying seed, he's talking about engrafted or implanted. And I got thinking about this. James wasn't, wasn't talking about their conversion. He was talking about their transformation. He was talking to believers that had the conversion of Christ, but he was not talking to their conversion when he said that it will save your souls. He was talking about their transformation. Remember, Paul said this, he said in Romans 12, he said, he said be not transformed, but be there, uh, be not conformed, but be there transformed by the renewing of your mind. So one, one step to the transformation process. So what does it mean? It means that God has put a part in us that is not seed form, that's part in us that is engrafted in. And that grafted in part, it's alive and it's real. And this is what bugged me to know, and God, where is that part? I need to know this. I want to know what that is saying to me. Please, Lord, show me this thing. I'm going through commentaries, and, and nobody seemed to have the answer that satisfied. And I said, Lord, please, what is it? So I promise you, I'm going to give you the answer. You come back next week. and I, No, it's, I know, it's an old joke. I've run it into the ground. But praise the Lord. But no, but I, I got looking. I woke up, and this is as early. I said last night, we were here doing a, doing a harp and bowl, praise and worship, and we're doing, and doing prayer. And I said last night, I said, God's going to give me the, 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 the word of this, going to give me the meaning of this thing. I didn't have it last night. <laughs> not, not to my satisfaction. I could preach on this thing for an hour. I could tell you about this and tell you about the word, how it grows within us, and so on and so forth. It wasn't what God was trying to bring across. I woke up this morning and I sat down and I just prayed. I said, Lord, I says, I need, I need, I need an answer. <laughs> and isn't it amazing how God always comes up with simple things? He said, read the next verse. Read the next verse? He said, read the next verse. Amen. Okay, that was James 1.21. What comes after James 1.21? James 1.22. This is the one we memorize and don't like. I'm going to read it anyway. It says in James 1.22, it says, But be doers of the word, not just hearers, only deceiving yourselves. The word that has been engrafted must be acted upon. In other words, it's not a word that comes in seed form that has just been planted in a fresh soil. It is a word that we've had that's been in us all along, grafted in by the Holy Spirit, and alive, by the way, not dead. <clears throat> because you didn't act upon it doesn't make it dead. You can't kill the word. You can kill it for yourself, but you can't kill it. It's alive. It's a living word. That's all there is to it. But God has shown me. He says, he said, this is the word that remains in our life that needs to be activated. How many have, can think of a word that's been spoken over them or, or a word that they read in the Bible, they got a revelation on, that needs to be activated? <clears throat> activation by participation. Can I put it that way? Activation by, by stepping out and doing what it says. And not just doing it one time to test the waters, to see if I can walk across this thing, and then look at the storm again and wonder why I sing, well, that don't work for me. <laughs> no, no, I'm talking about a lifestyle that's been implanted and grafted in you. James says, you already have this. This is nothing you need. This, you already have this. And now what you need to do is activate this. Don't just be a hearer. You listen to sermons. You do this. You listen and listen and listen. But what about it? When are you going to step out the boat as Peter did and begin to walk upon this thing? Now we got the implanted word. And that implanted word has enough. See, here's the thing. <clears throat> I take a pot right here and I put a seed in it. Five minutes later, you still got a seed in the pot and dirt and that's all it is. Do it. You have to wait weeks, months. Trees take years sometimes to grow. And then all of a sudden from a seed form to a tree. But if I take a branch... I have an adult tree. I cut a notch in that tree. I take this branch and I graft it in. And I fasten it in there. And I wait. Guess what? The process for that branch to produce fruit is now much quicker than if it starts at seed form. Now it's much quicker, isn't it? So maybe instead of looking for a new revelation or a new word, maybe you ought to go back and review if somebody has prophesied over you, gave you a prophetic word, maybe we need to go back over and look at those. Yes. 
and see what God has said. Maybe there's something we missed about putting that into action to bear the fruit in which we want the fruit. And the fruit is which everybody enjoys, including us and God. Are you here? Going back to the four soil conditions, I'm not going to mention all, I just want to mention one. Do you know within you that God's word is the most powerful thing in the universe? But do you know everybody that's listened to me by live stream or everybody here is listening to church tomorrow, do you know you have the power within you to stop any word of God that's spoken over your life? You possess the power to stop God's words in his tracks. How can that be? You do. And Jesus said we do. He says you possess the power to stop anything that comes into your life, including God's word. Are you ready? You want the scripture? Yes. Oh, you want the scripture for this? Okay. Yes. I got it. Hallelujah. Jesus was explained in this parable, Luke chapter 8, verse 14, Luke, and Mark chapter 9, verse 19, says the same, basically the same thing. I'll read both of them. It said, Now the ones that fell on thorns, who when they heard the word, go out and choked with the cares, of the cares and riches and pleasures, and bring forth no fruit to maturity. So how many know that the seed that's planted can be choked out? That's one method. This, I'm not done with this. There's another, there's another one. I'm going to talk about some other things here in a minute. Mark says, he says, the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things. Enter and choke out the word and it becomes unfruitful. So there's two things right there. But it's the cares of this world and the things that the world is just choking it out. Well, that's my problem. Not totally. Not totally. There's another aspect to this. How many want to hear the other aspect to this? Okay, I'll give it to you. <laughs> Amen? Jesus makes this statement. Mark chapter 7, Jesus makes this statement. He says in verse 13, he says, Making the word of God no effect through your traditions, which you have handed down, and many such things you do. Scripture number 1. Scripture number 2. Mark chapter 7, verse 8, out of the New, New American Standard Version, says, Neglecting the commandment of God, you hold the traditions of men. Tradition is not like, well, I'll do the same thing. We have a tradition here. No, I'm not talking about that. The tradition is any thought plan that you have other than God, what God is saying. I'm going to hold something else more dear than I'm going to hold the word of God. And you traditionally do that. No, he's saying, he said, what happens, he said, this is a frightening warning for Jesus, because he said, Jesus starts saying, what, you, what God has commanded is neglected, while the traditions of men are held dearly. What you think is held more dearly than what God has said. And in that process, the word becomes choked out, and though the word of God is the one that expands the universe. Do you know God spoke the universe into being and it hasn't stopped expanding? He said, light be, and it just keeps on going for eternity. Any scientist will tell you that the, the, the universe is expanding. Why? Because he never said stop. <laughs> I don't know the purpose of it. I'm not a, I'm not a, you know, a scientist, but the fact is, is God spoke it into being. It went into being, and it's expanding, but he never said stop. And it's still going. It's perpetual. I like, I like when the scriptures say that God holds back the sea by perpetual decree. He holds back the oceans. When you live on a two-by-four island, that is good news, any way you look at it. Especially when the highest point's about 11 feet above sea level, that's a good point. That's a good place to be. I'm glad by perpetual. I thank God every morning for that perpetual decree, because I'm not swimming, I'm walking. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Amen? Praise the Lord. Unbelief always, uh, unbelief is always the outcome of improper, uh, improper traditions. So can I change your thinking for just a minute? We're not just talking about traditions, uh, uh, like Christmas traditions, and everybody has a Thanksgiving Day tradition. I'm not talking about traditions like that. I'm going to talk about the traditions that we keep going back to that begin to negate the word of God in our life and begin to neutralize that word. And we go back to it. We all have them. This is, not, this is not a preach down to anybody. Never, never for me. Okay, the fact is, is no, this, this is what we all have. But I believe this is an awakening time. Just like I talked about awakening to the presence of God. 
there's, there's other thoughts. Remember about taking, taking thoughts and, and, and casting down thoughts and imaginations. Uh, as Paul said to the Church of Corinth, he said, cast down imagination, everything, everything that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. Knowledge is, an art, that's our arena. That's not even spiritual. That's just knowledge of God. And bringing it into captivity. What do you mean by captivity? To hold it captive until it surrenders. Once it surrenders, now it becomes our thought again. Now, now we purify that thought. And I will praise the Lord. Amen? Are you here this morning? Paul also said in Colossians chapter 2 and verse 8, he said this. He said, be aware, be aware, least anyone cheat. I'm reading the New King James. Cheat you through philosophy, empty the seats according to the traditions. There it is again. The traditions of men. What did I say traditions were? The defin- definition of tradition. Okay, tradition is any thought or plan that you have other than God by saying. Now, can I just for a minute, let me flash back to when, because here's, here's, the, here's the criteria for James. First thing he says, he said, lay aside all filthiness, overflow, wickedness, receive, and he said, receive it with meekness. So the predecessor for this whole setup to get changed is that we have to humble ourselves and come to him with meekness. Amen. That was pretty good, Pastor Kevin. I really like that. That was a good word. Amen. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Man, no, preach it. That's it. Preach it. Thank you, brother. Amen. <laughs> he said, beware at least anyone cheats you through philosophy, through empty deceit, according to the traditions of men, according to the basic principles of the world, and not according to Christ. Out of the mouths of two or three witnesses, let every word be established. Not just one thought or just one thing lifted off the page. We have the ability to nullify the Word of God by placing more emphasis on our ideas, meditations, our feelings, or habits than on the Word. We become stewards of the Word of God for our life. You become the steward. I become the steward over the Word of God for our life. Help anybody this morning. Praise the Lord. Amen. Hallelujah. Interesting thing, I, I, I had this in my notes from last week. I didn't get a chance to preach it around time. But interesting thing, because basically, what, why don't we walk into this? And I'm going to say, the number one thing I see, one of the most number one enemies of, our, of the Christian uh, walk in life is fear. I've been, we've been, I've been saying this for months. We said we need to combat this fear. What happens is fear, everybody gets afraid, and fear is in itself is not a sin. It's when we partner with it, and it becomes, when we partner with it for too long, it becomes a spirit of fear. Now we do have a demonic problem as far as a spirit of fear. But Isaiah says this, Isaiah 51, if you want to jot this in your notes, Isaiah 51, verse 12, 13. It says, even I, he who comforts to you, he says, who are you that you should be afraid of a man who will die and of the Son of Man who will be made like grass. He says, and you forget the Lord your Maker who stretched, stretched the heavens and laid the foundation. Stretched the heavens, that means it's still going. <laughs> and, and he said, laid the foundations of the earth. You have feared continually every day because of the fury of the oppressor when he has prepared to destroy when is and where is the fear, fury, question mark, where is the fury of the oppressor? Basically, he's saying, he said, you're fearing those things that are inferior. You're clinging to those things that are inferior compared to what God has as superior. And when we cling to the inferior is when we have a problem. So fear is a temptation. If I can say it this way, fear is a temptation towards the inferior. Amen. Paul also, Paul writes a, a couple of different things. Uh, I shared this with you last week, uh, things that I told you the difference between fruit of the Spirit and works of the flesh. Uh, I remember I said, I said the fruit in Galatians 5, fruit is singular and works is plural. Remember I said that. And I got a comment from that saying, well, that's just semantics. I want to prove to you it's not semantics, but it is actually, I can base it by the word. The fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, against there is so, so law. He singularly 
called it fruit. In other words, he isn't talking about the fruits of the Spirit, and there's a reason why. For you, it's not a misprint. It's not a, a, a semantic thing. If you go to the grocery store, you're going to go buy fruit. But does that tell anybody what kind of fruit it is? Okay, it's all fruit. It's all one category. So Paul put all the work of the Spirit in one category. Why? Because he, pre he preached that they're interconnected. They're different attributes of the same Spirit. Now, if you say, I'm going to the supermarket, I'm going to buy strawberries, you're going to buy strawberries, and then we know what kind of fruit you're going to buy. That is a fruit, isn't it, or something? I don't know. But anyway, um, okay, praise the Lord. Uh, but, it's really, but now, if you go back up to, to, um, to uh, verse 19, it says, Now the works of the flesh are these. The works, evidence, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, uh, lewdness, adultery, sorcery, hatred, uh, content, uh, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, self-ambitions. Uh, uh, and you've got a whole laundry list here of what your flesh wants to do. So Paul is saying, he said, these are works. In other words, I can take any one of these things. I can be jealous without being a murderer, can I? I can be jealous without being a drunkard. Do we, do you know, does anybody know any sober, jealous people? There you go. So all of those things we can do separately, but except the fruit of the Spirit comes together. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 and verse 2, Paul says this, he says, though I live, though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could move mountains, but have not love separate one of those fruits from the other, and I am nothing. You understand? So what does that have to do? Because one of the things that we have made be engrafted in us is the truth that the fruit of the Spirit, when we express the fruit in one way, we express the fruits of the Spirit. So when we bring faith to somebody, we can also bring joy and peace. When we bring joy to somebody, peace will also follow. I, I heard a preacher say this one time. He said, if you've got peace, you've got everything. Because you can't separate everything else from peace. Right? If you have joy and no peace, how can you have joy and no peace? Because they're inter interconnected. So it's, not, so it's not merely semantics. It is biblical soundness. And Paul wrote it on purpose. And in, in, in any translation will say that. It'll say fruit and not fruits. Because we talk about the nine fruits of the Spirit. No, no. Well, I, I only have only, maybe I only got seven of the nine gifts. Or, or seven of the nine fruits. Okay? No. If you have one, you got them all. Because one supports the other in working with all. And it's a fruit of His Holy Spirit. Not our fruit, but His fruit that works through us. So now let's go back to the branch engrafted and the things that distract us. To cap off this message, starting off with Peter being distracted. Are you spending more time, listen, if you're spending more time on social media than you are in your word and in the Bible, then basically your discouragement is self-inflicted. <laughs> Oh, it didn't hurt that bad. <laughs> well, it did maybe the first time I said it in my life, but praise the Lord. Amen? Amen. I mean, it would be true. If we go to the 5 o'clock news or look at the news report and we wonder why we're discouraged all the time, why we think that the earth is going to hell in a handbasket, when we see all the news reports of Russia building up on the border of Ukraine, or here we are, we're on the brink of nuclear war, can I re refer you back to the book of Genesis? And all the things that God has given Adam, which we had inherited from Adam, including the sin and everything else, but also through Christ we inherited something that, was, that would bring us back. But all the things that God promised Adam, I don't see one, one iota or even a hint to Adam having the, the, the right to destroy the world. Because what he said to Adam in Genesis 1.28, he said, subdue the earth. Subdue is not conquer. Subdue is to bring light where there's darkness. So can I suggest to you this morning, with all of you that are afraid of nuclear uh, wiping out, it may happen someday, but it won't be because Russia, China, or the United States decide to go at each other with our nuclear weapons. It'll be because God put his finger here and says, enough is enough. It's done. 
Amen? The destruction of the earth is reserved for a certain time, and man can't interfere with that time because it was never given to Adam, and there is no other authority that we have other than what Adam has been given by God. So in everything that talks about subduing, we have, we have, okay, I can subdue. In other words, when the evilness comes in, I can subdue that evilness. I can stop it from my household just with the word of God. I can stand up because that authority that Adam lost, Jesus Christ got it back, but only through the faith in him and only through his redemption, not because we will it. Praise the Lord. We get any other word this morning? Okay, I, got you, I give you enough stuff. You can digest it for all, all week, and we'll start off again next week. Praise the Lord. But the fact is, 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 is Paul made it clear. Another thing, the fruit of the Spirit, before you start dividing it and sectioning it off, the fruit of the Spirit is the fruit of the Spirit is the person, Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ comes with a whole package. Remember I told us about Galatians 3, 13 and 14 where it says he has redeemed us from the curse of the law? Can't undo it. That's there. Whether one person walks in it or not makes little difference. You can't undo it because Christ has already done it. The only choice that we have now is to refine our focus back onto what God has said and begin to start saying that over our life. Will it keep you, getting from, will it keep you from getting corona? It'll, I'll tell you what it will keep you from. It'll keep you from an early death. It'll keep you from, from, from dying. There's some things we go through sometimes we wish we were dead, but, <laughs> it, but the fact is those things pass too. And everything God says, this too, too shall pass. Amen? Praise the Lord. No, God is the giver of life, and he's given us new life, and he's given us a brand new life, and he's, he's, it's going to be his call. Amen? Amen? Praise the Lord. Does the thief come to still kill and destroy? Absolutely. Killing is in that. Can the thief kill you? Absolutely. But not if you're in Christ. Amen. Not if you know that that branch grafted in is that life-giving branch you can ward off the death. Praise the Lord. I used to say this years ago. I says, the Bible promises a man 70, 80, 70 years or 80 with strength. That's what the Bible says. You know, the writers that wrote that all live past 80. <laughs> I used to say, well, milestone is 70 years. If a life is taken before 70 years, the devil had involvement in it because God has given that to man for 70 years. So this past year, last October, I turned 70 years old. So I went to a doctor for my annual thing, take the blood and look at you and tell you tell you're all right. I said, well, how, how long do I got left to live, doc? He says, left to live? He said, you kidding me? He says, you better prepare. He said, you got at least 20 more years. Well, that takes me past the 80 with strength. <laughs> I said, good. I made a determined right, determination even before I left the doctor's office. I said, I will preach the gospel for as long as it takes and for as long as I got breath. And I said, I will not let it deter me. One of the worst things you could do is quit on God. He hasn't quit on you, why quit on him? Amen? And it doesn't matter where your life has gone or how you feel it's in a toilet or whatever it is. Uh, the fact is, uh, I've been around different countries. I've preached the gospel about five different continents. You think you got it bad here? I can take you some places where they got it bad. Amen? So your disaster is, it would, would be somebody else's prize. <laughs> All right? But the fact is, only... If, if we turn to God, everything that we're going through, we will go through out the other side. And I'll guarantee you, if we can look towards God, God will turn all those things that are meant for evil for us, he'll turn them for our good. That's a promise. So whether you're going through a problem or not a problem, I would be confessing this. I'm going to get through this. This is only for a season. When I get through this, I'm going to come out better on the other side. Amen? Amen. And when I get to the other side, I'm going to tell everybody that I know, I'm going to broadcast across to the nations that I'm doing right now, I'm going to broadcast that the stinking devil is a liar because he couldn't. I did this one time, but early in my faith, I was just learning stuff. I didn't know anything. I was just young, and I felt like I was going to die. I broke out of some kind of sickness. I thought I was going to die. 
I raised up off the bed. I put my feet on the floor. I says, devil, if you have any power at all, kill me now. Because if you cannot kill me now, and if I cannot die now, I will serve the Lord Jesus Christ with every breath that's in me for as long as I live. And I will turn your kingdom to doom. With the power of the Lord, I will tell everybody what a thief and a liar and a stinking idiot you really are. And make no mistakes about it. Well, God readjusted my theology when he said, he said, he said, don't spend so much time on that. He said, spend more time on looking what I'm doing. So I had to make a shift. I, instead of getting even with the devil, <laughs> you don't want to get into that, into that trap. He said, start looking at what I'm doing. Every little thing that was, God was doing in my life, I'd make a big deal out of it. Every little thing, I don't care what it was. If I had a headache when I went to bed, woke up with a headache, thank you, Jesus, for taking my head, headache in the middle of the night. I praise you, God. I'm going to praise you. I mean, God is our healer in the name of Jesus. I'm going to tell everybody God's a healer. And focus on that part instead of what the devil's doing. Help anybody this morning? I'm out of time. I'm not out of preach, but I'm out of time. So we'll just go ahead and praise the Lord this morning. So, if, Oh, you got that? Okay. Um, are we still, still on? Okay. Uh, <laughs> okay, guys, hallelujah. Uh, Jim in the sound booth, he showed me. What we had this week, and one of the things that we were wrangling with this week, is we got put up a new sign on the outside of the building. So I wanted them to put it, there it is right there on, on the screen. If you are in Key West, listening to this live stream, there's our sign. Look for that sign, 5580 McDonald Avenue. Come on out and join us. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Last Sunday, every month, we have a fellowship. That means we get to eat. And I know I got enough Baptists in this church that want to eat. Praise the Lord. <laughs> I'm not one of them, but praise the Lord, I still like to eat. Praise the Lord. So, but that's, that's our brand new sign. Uh, there's, there's a lot of struggle to that sign. We appreciate that sign. It's on the top of our building. And at night, you can see it. It's lit up with LED lights. We've got the LED lights. That's really cool. LED lights. And so it lights up, so it shines. So, uh, you see, one side, one side of the building is our Covenant Word Church. The other side is our Lighthouse Christian County. Both of them are ours. Praise the Lord. Come to the wrong door. Don't worry about it. It all comes here. <laughs> Praise the Lord. So uh, you can see our sign, day or night, 5580 McDonald Avenue. Praise the Lord. Let's go ahead and pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, I thank you, Lord, for all those who listened to your word this morning. Now, Lord, let's help us to put feet to those prayers. Help us to put feet to what we heard this morning. And Lord, we thank you. We do have a branch that's grafted in. And it was paid with a price that Jesus paid for. Lord, there's nobody in this room, there's nobody I can think of that has suffered more than Jesus for the gospel, for, for, to give us what we have. Lord, help us with our complaining and our murmuring. And Father God, to realize that none of us have suffered anything close to what you have suffered for us. Rose from the dead, came back, made the covenant, came back for us and empowered us, Father God, to go and preach the gospel to the nations. I pray, Lord, that the power of the gospel go forth this morning in the name of Jesus, not just to the airways, to, to the different countries that we're preaching to this morning, but Father God, or represented this morning, but Father God, the ones sitting here this morning, the power of the gospel actually takes over and consumes them this morning. In Jesus' mighty name, we pray that the power and presence of God doesn't just happen here, but follows us out to our homes and to our workplaces in the name of Jesus and begins to lead us and guide us in all wisdom. We pray, Father, in Jesus' mighty name and all the congregation said, Amen. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Hallelujah.